All right, it's been a few days just because, um, you know, after the trip to the US, I've just been kind of busy and also came back to a little bit of a of a thing in our own uh, uh, church mission here. So basically what it boils down to, <clears throat> and it ties in with the topic of, uh, you know, the t-shirt that uh, I think it's uh, Dancing with Logos is her new name that she came out that uh, she said, oh, that would make a cool t-shirt, you know, the uh, Catholic or get the fuck out, you know, GTFO, like, I think it would make a pretty cool t-shirt, but I'm actually thinking of writing a little follow-up to Believe. Um, so Believe was a general book for uh, people who didn't believe and who were like myself, uh, you know, pretty much heathens most of my life. Um, and very, very far from the church. And in fact, yeah, there you go. Let's believe. I'm sure most of you by now know it. A lot of you have read it. And uh, I still get emails pretty regularly um, of people that are going to Mass and so on. There's a couple that I tried to get in touch with because they asked me for advice on living together and so on, you know, before getting married and whatever. And... Um, I just it didn't happen I was busy and they weren't there or whatever so but I'm still open to having a little Skype session with them if they need it or whatever but basically um, you know I wanted to relate a little bit you know like a few of the Catholic concepts that are difficult for some people to grasp or even just generally to grasp Catholicism because, like I said, so this was about just belief in general, Christianity in general, and then which Christianity. And as you all know by now, I'm Catholic and I reject pretty much everything else. I do think the Orthodox have possibly a, a space in there, in Christianity. Um, and of course, the, the false uh, Novus Orco fake churchens, fake Catholics, um, you know, they're, they're basically satanic branch of Protestantism as, as as are most branches of Protestantism really so um, on you know in keeping with continuing to piss off and offend everybody I'm thinking of maybe doing another short little book uh, probably called Catholic or get the fuck out you know and explaining the overall big picture items because I keep having the same questions from people you know like you know, what What seems like hypocrisy to the average black and white Protestant, and you have to keep in mind that these Protestants are themselves completely hypocritical in actual fact when it comes to um, reading scripture and so on and so forth. But the Catholic position can appear to be, you know, hypocritical in various ways because the fact is that the church understands and allows for the uniqueness of every human being and also the to a certain extent mysterious ways of god so you know for example i came home to a situation in our um, church i want to call it we don't actually have a church we we get together and have mass in a, in a community center but <clears throat> i think of it as our church anyway and what happened there a little bit of you know internal squabbles and so on um, where a bishop from another country who reckons he's got authority to tell us what to do and who to have looking after things and so on, well, he doesn't, you know, 
canon law is quite clear on this, that bishop has absolutely no authority over us. We don't even have a parish priest because the priests come to give the sacraments once a month from another country, you know, usually somewhere in Europe. And uh, so we've got this American bishop that reckons he can do what he wants and tell us what to do and blah, blah, blah. And he can't. You know, it'll be up to us to decide who we have, uh, you know, helping serve the Mass or who we have sending out a newsletter or whatever. And um, so, you know, I, I sent out an email to everybody, which, you know, in my usual style of uh, winning friends and influencing people will probably piss everybody off. But so far, I've only had literally only positive responses to it. But the thing is, you know, the Catholic Church went completely off the rails with the Vatican II stuff because churchmen, you know, and I mean about clerics, so priests and bishops, were lazy, cowardly, or corrupt, or all of the above. And that's the vast majority of them. There were a few priests and a few bishops that said, no, this is nonsense. And they were quite quickly excommunicated and so on. Those were the real priests. Those were the real bishops. And there were few and far between. Most of the clergy of the Catholic Church was just, you know, completely corrupt, lazy, ignorant, couldn't care less, just after the money, that sort of stuff. And that's bad enough. But the laity were just too ignorant to know how to, how to deal with that. If if the clergy had been faced with a militant laity that said, what, you accept that crap that is Vatican II? Get out. Get the fuck out of this church or we'll burn you out of it. You don't belong here. Your office is now vacated. Piss off. If they had been met with laity like that, catechized laity, laity that knew the rules of the canon law, they knew the rules of Catholic dogma, then guess what? Those fake, useless priests would have been turfed out and decent ones would have stayed. And the ones that were on the fence would have realized, oh, I better take a stand now. So, you know, the fact that you're not a priest does not mean that you can't correct the priest. The fact that you're not a bishop does not mean that you cannot correct a, a bishop. Of course you can. And, you know, respect is given, initially given on principle, to everybody. And that's what how I deal with everyone. I don't care if you're a waiter or if you're a bishop or if you're the Pope, you know. I will initially give you respect because I don't know you. So I'm going to assume the best because that's how I'd like you to treat me. If then you prove to be a deceitful, lying, fraudulent bastard, well, guess what? You're not going to have my respect. And even if you're not a lying, deceitful, fraudulent bastard, but you're just wrong on a principle of canon law, I will call you out on it. And I will say on that thing, you're wrong. Now, it's possible, very possible, that I can call somebody out on being wrong on something and still fully respect them on everything else. Because, you know, human beings were all flawed. And a person can have a decent set of skills in one area and possibly no skills in another area. Or he could be generally a good person, but have couple of points where he's, you know, not that good. That's all of us. That's you, me, everybody, you know. And um, then you've got the gammas who want to be leaders and have no skill and no ability to actually lead anything. And in fact, make a mess of it when, if they're ever given any power. And those guys should just quietly sit on the sidelines and be firmly told, you will sit there quietly on the sidelines. You are not in position of authority. You will never lead anything. 
until, you know, a miracle happens and your character totally changes. Sit down, shut up, attend mass, you know, be a good Christian and, and live your life. You're not going to be a leader. End of. Um, you know, people like me don't like being leaders. I've never enjoyed the thing. I don't really want the responsibility. Unfortunately, I've been thrust into doing it a number of times, you know, both when I was teaching Karate, then when I was teaching Sistema, and a couple of other situations in life that uh, probably won't go into any detail. But, um, you know, there have been instances even where uh, there is threat of um, of death, you know, threat threat of, of life and death stuff uh, with some bad actors involved on the other side and you have to take action with stuff like that you know you can't just sit on the sidelines you know the adage that all the evil needs to triumph is for good men to do nothing is absolutely true and you know what you don't even have to be that good just do something you know so don't keep quiet don't sit quietly by the sidelines and that's the important part of catholicism that type of militant catholicism that i'm talking about that is rising and that's what should be rising We've had enough of lukewarm, you know, medial of the road, uh, mediocre, oh, well, we should just trust the priests. Nah. Nah. I trust the priests that prove that they're trustworthy. And those priests, by the way, they're battle priests. Those guys will stand right next to you in a firefight. They won't back down. Those priests I have the highest respect for. And if one of those priests tells me, look, you're an idiot and you've done wrong, my instant... My, my instinctive, and this is generally my instinctive reaction anyway, you know, even if I'm not sure about the priest, my instinctive reaction is like, okay, state your case, you know, make your case, prove, prove your point, and I'll be quiet, you know, I'll listen, and if you can prove me wrong, or you can prove to me where I went wrong, or you can make me understand the, the error of my ways, because, for example, <clears throat> You know, in this in this email that I had to send out to to our church group or whatever, I'm sure there'll be people that will be upset. Um, I don't care. You know, that's fine. I'm sure there will be priests that will say, "Oh, you know, you could have phrased that better," and I'm sure they are right. But I did the best I could with what I got. You know, so I don't feel guilty about anything. It's not going to be. You know, the, the fact that I wrote that letter is not going to be something that I'm going to have to bring up at confession. Not for my my perspective. Now, if one of the priests that received that email goes, hey, what you did here was wrong. Okay, tell me where I was wrong. And, you know, it, it's got to be a logical, reasonable, provable thing. Because if it's just a matter of, well, you know, you should respect the, the bishops or whatever. Nah, that's not going to do it. I respect who is deserving of respect. Excuse me while I sip my tea. So, <clears throat> and you need to understand that as a, as a Catholic, your duty is to God. That's what the Catholic Church teaches. And that's why sometimes it looks a little bit hypocritical because your duty is to God first and foremost. Then in theory, if we had a valid Pope, um, and, and a valid Pope would have to be Catholic. Well, guess what? No surprises there, right? And a Catholic Pope would understand Catholic dogma and he would make pronouncements, if any are required to be made, based on that Catholic dogma. And if that were the case, then, you know, that would be fine because really Catholic dogma doesn't change. It is what it is. 
Um, I'm very grateful also to um, Mama Bear because she gave me a, a link to, uh, let me just see if I can look it up here while I'm talking to encyclical and see if I remember. Quo primum, I think that's the one. Let me just, it's promulgating Tridentine literature. There we go. So she, she gave me a link to um, a repository of papal encyclicals online, which is, it's actually called papalencyclicals.net. So it's quite a useful resource. Now, again, you have to keep in mind that as far as I'm concerned, papal encyclicals, yeah, you know, I take them with a pinch of salt because it depends on the Pope and whatever. Mm. And this is where, again, the Orthodox <coughs> and the Protestants kind of twist the truth about papal infallibility and, and papal primacy and so on. The primacy of the Pope is not in question. And all that means is that the Pope is first among equals among all the bishops of the church. That's all it really is. That's all it ever really was. It's an absolutely intelligent, reasonable and well-founded position which has a parallel a lot of things have got a parallel in martial arts and i think it's because both martial arts and catholicism christianity are concerned themselves with matters of truth honor justice beauty and so on um you know for example in karate which has got nothing to do with christianity but honor is paramount truth is paramount justice is paramount and beauty, too, is paramount. And these are all Christian virtues. Um, similarly, the Catholic Church concerns itself with those same uh, qualities, you know, courage, truth, justice, beauty, love. Um, these are the... Uh, it is well known inside any human being that those are the important things. And that's what Catholicism concerns itself with. So, you know, the rest is sort of details to a certain extent. But the thing is, when you have, um, you know, this sort of situation where you've got a guy that's an older guy, let's say, you say, you say there's a second Dan, right? And he was already there when you started, but you're a good fanatic and quickly you also become a second Dan and the other guy's still just a second Dan. He hasn't moved up. He hasn't gone to third Dan or whatever. Well, he still has seniority. For example, when you line up, he will line up to your left, you know, which is, the, the more senior position. And the reason for that is because he was there before you. Now, similarly, um, say the fanatic gets to third Dan. So now he lines up to the left of the older guy who's a second Dan. And he's a third Dan now, so he's kind of the boss over everybody else. But he will still treat the second Dan old man with a bit more respect than he does, say, to the second Dan young man, because it's right to do so. You know, this is not difficult to understand among human beings, among men. This is not difficult to understand at all among men. Now, when you get effeminate sort of losers, the churchens, the middle of the road, lukewarm people, then this all becomes confused because these little betas and gammas, you know, they, they can't handle manliness, reality, truth in, the, in your face. Um, so that's an issue. But the, 
the the primacy of Rome, the primacy of the Pope is that's really all it is. Now, as for the infallibility of the Pope, that only became uh, came out as a result of Vatican I, which was really already a kind of response to the infiltration and so on. It was a panic, possibly response to the infiltration that was going on. But long before that, it was very much accepted, and it's called Quo Primum, promulgating the Tridentine Liturgy, and it was done by Pope Pius V in 1570 and basically what this says is if you try to change the mass from the um, Tridentine liturgy then you're an apostate you, you know any any attempt to change the mass into something different than what it is is an attack on the church and it is and it has been and it's been a very successful attack because you now have uh, weird you know, there's Novus Orco masses where they've got rainbow flags on the altar. It's just disgusting. It's absolutely sick. And I've spoken about this before, and I've made a link to a video of a guy that describes, you know, why the mass, the, the Novus Orco mass is completely invalid. And it just hammers home point after point after point after point. Um, all logically based, all canon law based, all uh, papal encyclical based. So it's like pretty clear. And, you know, those are central tenets of the Catholic dogmatic, you know, Catholic dogma. So you can't just throw those away or change them or put them upside down like Vatican II tried to do and, and then say you're still Catholic. You're not. You know, if you, if you agree with Vatican II, if you recognize Bergoglio, Ratzinger or any of those people as Pope, you're not. You're not Catholic. You're at best a very confused, lost and ignorant person. Um or a fearful one that is just unwilling to look at the facts. The facts are simple, you know, go to canon188.com, look at the about page, read there and read the links. It's easy to follow. It's not difficult. So now if you accept that point, you know, that Christianity is true and real, then it's like, well, why Catholicism? And I've, I've explained this at some length, but there are some details of it that are probably better to put down in writing rather than on a video or anything like that um, because people can refer back to it and so on and you know big picture catholic christianity has civilized the world so it's like that's why essentially um and it's really undeniable once you look at history with a view to understanding the role of the catholic church in it it's absolutely obvious that everything good that humanity has managed to achieve has got its root in Christianity and particularly in Catholicism. Um, that's an undeniable fact. You know, that those are the fruits of Catholicism. And if you're going to go and pick out, oh, but there was this evil pope or this evil priest or, you know, the indulgences were kind of um, a fraud on people... Yeah, sure. You know, the indulgences, you know, the reason, one of the reasons that so-called Protestantism supposedly arose is because of the fraud of the indulgences where people were being told, yeah, right, you give money and uh, your sins are forgiven and the sins of the people in purgatory are forgiven and so on, blah, blah, blah. But again, in the world that has had a positive effect in that without those monies and so on, many of the churches that uh, cover the Western Hemisphere, the Catholic churches wouldn't exist. Many of the dioceses wouldn't exist. 
So the support for the various priests and so on. Now, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying, you know, it should be a voluntary donation that doesn't really have anything to do with your sins. I, I believe that. But on the other hand, even from a theological point of view, you could say that there is some validity to it. Because what do you do when you repent or when you pray or when you have an act of contrition? What you're basically saying is, I'm really sorry, I don't want to do this again. And you spend time, money, energy trying to fix it, right? Even if it's just praying the rosary or whatever, you're spending time praying the rosary and you're spending that time contemplating your actions and contemplating your your errors and so on. So is that, it is, inten- the intention, you know, is, is very important. Now, if you, instead of doing all that, say, look, I don't have the wherewithal, I don't have the time or whatever, I'm, I'm busy, I've got other things to do then you're already kind of a little bit in error because, you know, the salvation of your soul should be the most important thing, really. But but you say, but at the same time, I will donate 10,000 bucks to the, the church I go to so that they can help form another priest or maybe they can get a church or whatever, you know. You are then contributing a relatively large amount of money which you created through your labor, your difficulty, your struggle, whatever, and to better the church and to better other people. So you're kind of making a kind of amends. There is a theological sort of reasoning behind it. And um, again, you know, like when you say, oh, pray for me, or when you pray for somebody, you pray for somebody who's a sinner, or somebody some, somebody is a sinner, and you, you're you they're your friend, and you say, but look, you know, let me try and help you. Let me try and show you why the church is good or why what you're doing is wrong. You spend time with them. Maybe you take them somewhere. Maybe you say, look, I'll pay for you to get to church because you can't do it. It's too far away for you or whatever. And doing stuff like that is spending time, money and effort trying to help somebody. Similarly, like when you pray for somebody, you know, you're spending time and effort trying to pray for somebody, trying to make something in their life go better. How's that different from giving a chunk of cash? You know, in a way, the chunk of cash in the world might at least temporarily seem more effective or practical. Uh, not always, you know, not saying it's the answer to everything, but it certainly can help sometimes, you know, especially if you're talking about, I don't know, say a health issue where somebody can't afford proper uh, care and you can and you afford them proper care or for their kid or something like that. You know, that's that's a positive effect on somebody's life. And, you know, there should be some recognition of that. I'm sure there would be some recognition for that in the spiritual realm. You know, God's not going to go like, well, yeah, you saved, you know, 50 orphans from child rape and, and being abused for their and have messed up lives and you put them through school and they've had all decent lives. But, you know, you didn't pray the rosary enough on a Tuesday, so you're going to hell. That's not how God works, right? So, and I look, I'm not a theologian. I'm not here to tell you how exactly God works, but I'm fairly sure that that's just absolutely not going to be the way. Which brings me to the other points of why not orthodoxy. Because honestly, if you're arguing about the filioque, you're retarded. You are retarded. I don't even care which denomination you're supposed to be from. If you're arguing about things like the filioque, and all the filioque is, does the Holy Spirit proceed from only the Father or from both the Father and the Son? Now, first of all, if you don't think it proceeds from both the Father and the Son, 
you're illiterate because that's literally what it says in the Bible. Read it. You know, it's the New Testament, not even the Old Testament. Just just read the New Testament. It's all in there. It's quite clear that the Holy Spirit proceeds also from Jesus. But you know, if you're from the East, you can't read that well. They got that funny alphabet. You know, whatever. And so. <laughs> Just remember, guys, if I haven't offended you because of your nationality, your religion, or your origin, or your squiggly writing, just wait your turn. I'll get there. I guarantee you at some point I will pick on your ethnicity or something and I'll, I'll offend you too. And, I, and, and there's a good reason for that, by the way. You, you should. Um, when I was 16, I came up with this rule that is, I should try and offend at least three people a day, you know, make it a... It's a skill you have to develop it, you know. Why would that be a skill you want to develop? Well, because it helps you tell the truth. Now, it's true that you should tell the truth in kindness, but in today's world, I'm afraid truth is so rare and so lacking uh, that, you know, truth itself has now become offensive. And people like me are immune to the idea of being offensive, so. I just speak the truth as I see it anyways. Um, so it's, it's not a bad skill to learn, you know, to offend a few people a day, just as a matter of course. Not, not, uh, not in an evil way, you know, not in a nasty way, but, uh, you know, just, just practice. It's good fun. And I, I do this with random people, you know, people that I meet, whatever, for work or randomly or, you know, through a party, whatever. I'll just drop things in there, like, you know, the, the whole transgenderism in school stuff. I'll just drop it there. And people, you can see they start to get a little bit uncomfortable because like, oh, what, where's this guy going to go with it? And then, and I just act as if it's completely normal, which it is to totally reject all that rubbish, you know, completely. I say, you know, these mentally insane people are trying to like abuse our kids. That's how I open up, you know, that's how I start the conversation. So it's like all the ones that don't agree with me quickly run away and go somewhere else because they're not going to face you down. You know, that you've got to remember that the freaks will never stand their ground with a guy that absolutely won't budge. So the freaks disappear and the other people sort of go like, oh, oh and they get a little bit inspired because, oh, there's somebody else telling the truth. You know, it's the same thing here. You know, it's, it's with anything. And... That's how I think about Catholicism. You know, it, it is essentially the truth and it deals with the truth. So you should, um, you should be willing and able to uh, simply tell the truth as it is. And the other really great thing is the rules are all written down. So there's no real arguing about it, you know. The interpretation of things and blah blah and so on you know like for example the old testament is really quite a complicated document it's written in a way that we in the west don't actually have a parallel for um the old testament is written you know in a in a mode of writing that is both allegorical and factual at the same time and it's quite difficult sometimes to discern which is which uh, the new testament is a lot more literal really and the Old Testament. Um, and we as Westerners generally don't have don't have that ability so much anymore to, to think that way. Um, you know, the closest thing again is Catholicism and it's paradoxical thinking as opposed to binary thinking. You know, paradoxical thinking and 3D thinking is 
there's never just a binary a b you know black white i mean sometimes in life there is a binary option but most things in life have at minimum three because you know you could say and i made this argument long ago already on the face on mars it was like well you think you could either just be driving a car or not driving a car no there's other options you might be in a car crash that is therefore not driving anymore but you were driving you know, what is that or the concept of cars might not exist where you live so the whole point is moot you know it's there's always some overarching option where you're thinking well is it better to live in england or in china you know but if a tsunami hits the area in china or england where you're going to live then it's a moot point you know there's always some other thing the unexpected thing that can just come along and totally throw all your variables out the window so you have to be a little bit more flexible in your thinking in terms of the potential variables that you have but that doesn't mean that your um, ideals and your dogma is in any way affected by these things you know so for example take the fake pope bergoglio and his protection of pedophile priests or take your, your average pedophile priest, right? And let's say he is a priest from the actual Catholic Church. You know, we're, we're going to get into the, the concept of donatism now. Donatism was a heresy of the Catholic Church, which basically said, if your priest is not a perfectly good guy, then his sacraments are invalid. Now, that's obvious nonsense, because there is no perfect priest. All priests are flawed. All bishops are flawed. So their intent matters. So now if you have a priest that is giving the sacraments with a good intent, but he's an idiot in some other stuff, or he's just wrong, or he's maybe even evil in some things. That doesn't invalidate the sacraments in and of itself. But let's take now the extreme situation where you've got a priest that is also a pedophile. Let's make it worse. Let's say that the priest is genuinely believes in Christianity and so on, is also a pedophile. And let's make it really sort of difficult from a theological point of view. Let's say that this priest is also genuinely, you know, repentant and and, and, um, and understands that his sin of pedophilia is, is evil and terrible and so on, but he can't stop himself. That's you know, the closest to a difficult theological situation you can have. But in reality, it's not difficult at all. Because if that priest is genuinely regretful about his pedophilia and his abusing of kids, and, you know, but now and then he, he can't control himself, so he abuses some kid and then he feels terrible about it. When he is in his right mind and feels terrible about it, he should immediately recuse himself, go and denounce himself to the nearest police station and get himself put in jail, get himself removed from society because he's clearly unable to control his urges and he should do something to ensure that um, that never happens again. Personally, my preferred uh, view would be that, um, you know, he put a bullet through his brain. Now, suicide is a sin in Catholicism. So again, if you believe all the dogma and so on, then fine, you know, he should uh, give himself up, uh, confess everything so that he's locked away and put somewhere that he can't hurt anybody else. 
If he doesn't do that, then he is not actually all that repentful. He's not actually all that, um, you know, Catholic. He's not actually uh, with truth at all. And so right there, you already have a, a flaw that is well beyond repair. But now let's say this comes out. What do you do with this priest? Well, immediately you remove him from the priesthood immediately and you remove him from any contact with kids. Now, again, my personal position being a Catholic, I absolutely believe in the death penalty. And if a priest is found to be a pedophile, in my opinion, they should be immediately killed. They should be strung up, publicly executed, uh, burnt at the stake, I think is the best way because, you know, that uh, dissuades the others from doing it. And, you know, it's also merciful because it gives them the chance to repent. You know, while it takes them a couple of hours to burn alive, they have a chance to think on their sins and really, truly understand what they did wrong. Um, and anybody that says that, you know, physical corporal punishment isn't a motivating factor into true repentance doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. Okay? I have had a very interesting life and I can tell you from a very obvious point of view that um, some very misguided individuals have absolutely become better people, not necessarily perfect or anything like that, but definitely better people than they were through a judicious application of physical correction. And you can see this in a much you know smaller and understandable scale in any martial arts club you know we in our dojo we used to take we, there were some dojos where you go to and they'd say oh well no you know why do you want to learn our deadly empty hand way because we are ninjas and you could kill innocent people with the new skills we'll give you all bullshit you know we could have a guy like you know covered in scars tattoos and and like been in jail 50 times that comes in and goes i'd like to train with you he wasn't even asked why? No one would get asked why. You want to come train, you can come train. And once you step on that floor, the rules are the rules of the dojo. That's it. And our rules are pretty simple. You do what you're told by your superior belts. If you don't, you'll get your ass kicked. So you don't have to, you know, if they're whatever the sensei or a higher belt tells you, oh, do that or do this. And you say, nah, screw you. That's fine. You know, nobody's going to tell you that oh, you can't do that. But that guy is going to kick your ass. And so is everybody else. You know, say he doesn't manage to kick your ass because you're a thug and you're better than him and you still kick his ass. Well, guess what? The next guy who's also your superior is going to try and kick your ass. And eventually one of them will. And then the second and the third and the fourth. So you very quickly fall in line. You very quickly understand where you fall in the scheme of things. And it's also really easy because it depends on the belt you're wearing. Nobody cares about your character. Nobody cares about whether you're a good guy or a bad guy. Just follow the rules. Guess what happens? The thug that comes in there and starts training with us either leaves very shortly, in a very quick period of time, they leave. They never come darken our door again. If they stay there, they become better people. So the mugger that comes training with us, he will stop being a mugger might take a little while, but he will definitely stop being a mugger. Everybody that goes through that way of training becomes a better person. There's just no way around it, you know. So that's what I mean about there's a parallel between 
uh, Christianity and martial arts, you know, because just there is. So, again, if, you know, you get a guy who says, oh, I'm a Catholic, but now he starts behaving like an idiot, or you get this pedophile priest, well, you know, as Catholics, we believe in the death penalty. If you're raping little kids, you should be put to death, end of. And while you're being burnt alive, you have a chance to save your soul because you have a chance for true repentance. And believe me, being burnt alive is probably going to really help you to get to that point where you really understand the error of your ways. So it's theologically sound. If you are the actual abusing priest, you should immediately, you know, if you are actually any kind of believer, you should immediately, like, you know, remove yourself from society because of that, um, admit your sins and go to jail. So, you know, it's simple. Now, does that mean those priests' sacraments were invalid? Let's say you get the pedophile priest that's given you the sacraments and he's a pedophile on the side, but he also kind of truly believes. First of all, we've already seen that he can't really be truly believing because otherwise he would give himself up. So there's already a question as to his really his full belief and therefore his full intent. But you didn't know about it. You've got no shame and no fault on your side. You know, your intent was clear. Your intent was to be a good Catholic. You just went to a bad priest. You've got no fault. Um, so if you're, the, the idea is if you get hit by a bus before your next sacrament or your next confession or your next holy mass, you're not going to go to hell because you didn't know that the priest was a lying scumbag. Your intent was clean. Whether the priest's uh, you know, was or wasn't, you have got no fault in that respect. So that's easy enough. But when it comes to people like Bergoglio, who actively promote absolute heresy, then it's patently clear that they're not Catholic and their sacraments are absolutely invalid. Furthermore, Let's say you do find out that the pedophile priest is a pedophile. Let's say that he's in jail. Let's say there is no other priest for thousands of miles around. Would I go to that priest in the jail, say, to visit him in the jail so we could have the mass in the jail? No, I wouldn't. I would have nothing to do with such a priest. Why? Because one of the rules of prudence of the Catholic Church is prudence. So if something is suspect, leave it alone. And definitely a pedophile priest is absolutely suspect at the very minimum. Therefore, the minute that I'm aware of that, that's it. I'm not going there anymore. So it's not difficult. You know, it's... And yet the, the Protestants say, oh, but you still think your sacraments are valid and so on. The point is that priests' actions, if they were unknown to you, then you have no fault. Now, what about those people that say, well, yeah, but I still want to have the, the sacraments, so I would go to the jail to get mass or get the sacraments or get confession from that priest. Well, I'm kind of saying those people, you're not thinking straight. And you're not following the rule of prudence. Because how can you have any kind of certainty that a priest that does that sort of thing is honest in their intent? You don't. Now, it's true that you don't necessarily have any idea of the intent of any priest randomly, but, you know, if a priest behaves like a priest, acts like a priest, walks like a priest, talks like a priest, doesn't do any sick, weird shit, and he takes the time to do all those things, it's 
fairly clear that his intent is probably good. And if it isn't, again, it's no fault on you, you know. So they're pretty simple concepts, but to a lot of Protestant educated people, they're not because they don't understand the simplicity and clarity of the church. You know, one of the other, <laughs> one of the other idiotic um, arguments of the Orthodox is uh, on uh, the absolute simplicity of God, I think they call it, or something like that, where, you know, the Orthodox are saying, we differentiate between an action of God or a quality of God or, or God himself. <laughs> I'm like, do you really? Have you got a little checklist? Because again, you're just a tiny stupid human. You will never understand the whole of God or God's actions or God's qualities or God himself. And for you to now sit there and argue about it to the point where you excommunicate each other about whether an act that happens, a miracle that happens is due to God himself doing it or an attribute of God doing it or the Holy Spirit doing it or the presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist doing it. Who cares? Okay? The average person that argues about this shit hasn't yet stopped masturbating. All right? Hasn't stopped fantasizing about some twisted pornographic thing and having a wank. So what the hell are you doing trying to tell me who is and isn't a heretic, whether they believe this or that aspect of God is actually God himself or an aspect of God? Dude, stop fucking stealing, right? Stop talking shit. Stop lying. Stop cheating on your wife. You know, start there. Yeah, start there. You got all that shit squared away. Then maybe you can try and talk to me about it. But to fucking tell me that somebody's heretic because they believe this or that or the filioque, you're a, you're a moron. You're an absolute. That's why I say, you know, a guy like Jay Dyer, that guy's a fucking autistic omega loser. And, you know, just listen to him talk about himself. He's, he admits it anyways, but... You know, a guy that gets lost on that kind of nonsense, absolute rubbish, nonsense. Are you stopping millions of Muslims from invading your country? Are you catechizing people into proper Christianity? Are you educating your kids so that they are not going to get bullshitted and lied to about the homosexual agenda and the transgender agenda that's going on in their little schools? Those are the important things. Are you busy creating a Catholic community around you? Are you busy trying to see to it that you get your city back? Are you starting to maybe move to a little village and make sure that everybody becomes Catholic in that little village? And then you make a little city-state by default. And when a heretic comes in or a pagan or one of these progressives, you shun them to the point where they can't do business, they can't work there, they can't live there. Get the fuck out. Catholic or get the fuck out means more than just religious-wise. Imagine you move to a little town of 5,000 people and they all slowly become hard, proper, real Catholics like, like I am. Not all of them are going to be good guys. You know, you're going to get bad Catholic, a better Catholic, whatever. And remember, the Catholic Church takes the worst of the worst. So just like our dojo, same thing. You know, we're not good enough to be any other denomination. We, we've got to be Catholics because the dregs of humanity are Catholics. So... And say in that, in that town of 5,000 people, 
you know, slowly after a few years, you now have 3,000 Catholics there, hardcore proper Catholics. And those hardcore proper Catholics start to deal with each other, start to support each other, and not support those things that they're not supportive of, such as against Catholic dogma, or warmongering Jews, or, you know, idiot Baptists, or evangelical morons that uh, say that you have to give money to Israel and you can't criticize them or whatever. Well, guess what? Those 3,000 people are going to thrive and the other 2,000 that are neither here nor there or actively against the Catholics won't thrive. And eventually they will either move out, change their mind and become Catholic or some, you know, some nomination of that. And very shortly, you will then have a Catholic little city-state. Now, if of those 5,000 people, 4,000 are now Catholic and the other 1,000 are some non-offensive denomination of whatever else, let's say they're agnostics or even atheists, but not militant ones, you know, quietly atheists in their own privacy of their own home. Well, that little city is going to thrive. And the moment that you get a little progressive idiot with blue hair and overweight that tells you that we should allow the homosexuals, you know, they're all just like us. And no one, literally no one has anything to do with them. So when they go to the baker, the baker says, sorry, out of bread for you. You're not allowed on my premises. Private property, I don't want you on my premises. Get the fuck out. Well, now they can't buy bread. And they go to the butcher and it's the same. And now so they go to the supermarket and maybe they survive there because the supermarket sort of, you know, lets most people in. But again, if it's a good, nice Catholic community, You'd sort of go, um, no, we don't really want women with purple hair around. We don't think that's uh, proper. So get the fuck out. If you've got purple hair, you can't come into our shops. And now people are going to go up in arms and say, oh, but that's uh, disgusting. What about freedom of speech and freedom of action? Blah, blah, blah. No. You see, first of all, freedom of speech never existed. It's an absolute lie that only somebody who's been brainwashed from birth could believe in. Freedom of speech has never, ever existed anywhere on the planet, ever, at any time in human history. And if you're an American getting your panties in twist right now, be quiet and listen, because you're an idiot if you believe that free speech has ever existed in any format. It never has. Furthermore, it never will. As long as human beings exist, there will never be such a thing as freedom of speech. All right? Never has been, never will be. You can say stuff and you will get punished for it accordingly, depending on the time, place, what you say, who you say it about, and so on. All right? In America, it's now law that you can't even criticize Jews. You can't say anything about Jews. So you can't even choose to boycott Israel. You know, there is no freedom of anything. You know, they let you be free to say the only freedom of speech was so that you could denigrate the church and denigrate Catholic dogma so that you could eventually overturn it. And if I have to choose between a very hardline, hardcore Catholic society or the present, uh, you know, degeneration that we have of random lesbian transgenders pedophiles uh, doing readings to little children in libraries and in schools, well, I know which I'll choose. I'll be on the side that burns those people at the stake, okay? 
Now, I don't particularly enjoy burning people at the stake. I'm sure it would be quite a horrific thing to do and see. But I am perfectly willing to set fire to the sticks myself if the alternative is to allow those freaks access to my kids. Okay, it's not going to happen. And that's how you should be too. If you're Catholic, only deal with Catholics as much as you can. Now, does that mean that you're going to like every Catholic? No. Like I said, we've just had a little tiff with uh, an American bishop who most likely will fly into a rage and most likely will be told, stay in America and help your American friends, you know. And that's that. I mean, I don't have to be friends with everybody who says he's a Catholic, but the point is, as long as that Catholic is following Catholic dogma, following Catholic canon law, and doing his Catholic thing, I don't have anything against him. The minute he goes against Catholic dogma or Catholic canon law or he tries to impose his will because of arrogance or whatever, well, then he's going to get told exactly where to go in no uncertain terms. And as long as, you know, the, the, the responses I've had to that sort of uh, email that I sent were overwhelmingly positive. I mean, to the point where like, at least one person said, I am a hardcore Catholic in every respect cast my vote as you see fit. And I thought, wow, what an endorsement. Because basically what he's saying is like, you're at least as hardcore as I am, enough so that I trust you based on what you've written to choose for me. I'll follow you. You know, that's that's a huge endorsement. And, um, you know, I, I'm very grateful to, to the gentleman who, who wrote me that email. It was quite powerful. And, and there, the others have been pretty much, you know, the same along those lines. Um, most cast their vote. Most have sort of said, not totally in agreement with you on everything. Go for it, you know. So it's good to know that when you stand up for what's true, you will absolutely have people on your side. That's important. Yes, you will have enemies. But so what? You get enemies crossing the street, right? Honestly, Having enemies is not an issue. You know, like when I did the Sistema thing and I wrote a book about Sistema and all of a sudden, as soon as that book came out, which by the way, everybody that was supposedly on my side was too scared to give like, you know, to make any comments about it. They were like, oh no, I don't really want to talk about it. I don't want to say it because they were scared. They were scared. Then after the book came out, I had my threats and, you know, uh, rude emails and whatever. And I just said, well, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Fuck you all, pretty much. Um, and then after that, people realized, oh, shit, this guy's not backing down. And all of a sudden, it was like, you know, the, the feeling, I described the feeling as being like a worn out, tired, battle weary night somewhere in the middle of no man's land. And he's like, fuck, I don't know what's going on. You know, I just survived the last war and like, yeah, shit. Yeah, my sword is broken. I can pick up that sword from that body. I patch up my armor. Look, oh, there's a piece of a, of a flag, a remnant. Oh, let me just make a stick. I'm going to make a a little flag for myself, just for my own little morale. And you lift up the little flag, and as soon as you do, the next thing you know, half dead zombified, you know, knights, and you're all stand up, oh, I was just waiting for you. Thank you, leader. I'll follow you onto the ends of the earth. You're like, the fuck? You were the same guy that was just lying there like a dead body five minutes ago. Now, because I got a little flag, you're my henchman. You're like, oh, yeah, we're with you. And right on the opposite side of the field, there's another crowd that's like, you're evil, we're going to take you out. Like, okay, fuck it. I guess I'm the leader now. You know, and honestly, that sort of came about just like that. And similar thing in this church stuff and whatever, you know. So 
when events happen, stand up. You know, stand up, be counted. Whether it's be counted as a good follower to a good leader, whether it's as a reluctant leader, but, you know, sometimes you need leaders. And, you know, generally speaking, the people who want to be leaders are the least qualified to be leaders. That's the gamma thing. That's what happened here. That's basically what happened here. Some gamma tried to, like, do his gamma stuff and become the leader. And it's like, nah, you're not going to lead shit. Sit down and shut up. That's going to be how it's going to be, you know. So you, you have to impose yourself sometimes uh, because truth matters. And if you're Catholic, truth matters. You're not going to keep quiet. Remember, here on earth, we are the church militant. Okay? Church triumphant is up in heaven and so on. We are the church militant on earth. And, you know, that doesn't mean go out and shoot people, right? It means militantly push forward your Catholicism, deal with other Catholics, catechize other Catholics. You know, Immortalist Nameless Bear has done more for Catholics in his immediate family and his friends and even random strangers than most people I know, you know. Um, we even had dinner with one guy, um, Redbeard, who, you know, I, I felt quite sorry for Redbeard because he was very honest, very open, and uh, he's a millennial, and he quite openly sort of stated, like, I don't know, you know, I'm not sure how to, like, you guys are kind of sure about stuff. And and Immortal Nameless Bears reminds me a little bit of myself a few years back. You know, he's, he's quite emotional and he's quite intense. And, um, and he's like, ah, oh, you know, weak people. And I was like, dude, relax. Everybody's weak at first, you know. You're weak right now because, you know, he was asking me some stuff that was like, oh, but how do I deal with that? And it's like... You don't have to right now. Get strong. I mean, when I first saw God, I was like a newborn Bambi, man. The, honestly, the only skill I had, the only ability I had to survive the seeing of this love world was that, thank God, I come from a family of hunters and mercenaries. And we know enough. We, when you don't know something, sit down, shut up, wait, be quiet, observe. And that's all I did for like a week. I didn't leave the house. I couldn't even listen to an advert on TV or on the radio. Couldn't even really read a book. I just sat there contemplating this love world that I'd seen and, and God. And, uh, and that's all I could do. I literally couldn't face other human beings. It was too much for me. It took me a month to go back to work. Because, again, you know, I could feel what the person next to me was thinking and it was just too much it was like whoa you know and then when i did start work i just kept quiet and i just did minimum that i needed to do i did my job in order to survive you know i didn't really talk to people i didn't argue with people i didn't i was just like just do my bit and hand in my bit and that was it you know and that slowly, slowly I got stronger and slowly I started to understand more about the spiritual realm. And then there were like, you know, what I considered demonic oppression and demonic attacks, they, they became intense. You know, there were, there were times, there's still times where, you know, like all, everything hits you at once and you had legal shit and, you know, like all, all sorts, just all going on at the same time in the worst possible way, trying to just demoralize you, depress you and finish you off. And it's like, and you just hunker down and you hang on with like one hand to your spike in the rock and eventually you pull yourself up and then you've got two hands on the spike in the rock 
then eventually you climb on top of the rock and you're still holding on to the spike in case you get blown off and you know it's a process but it's like going to gym eventually you get stronger you know and now you know from a physical point of view fighting gets up to a point and you get older and it gets you get weaker but fighting is mostly a mental thing so while physically you might get weaker mentally you can be stronger you know you like a 60 year old war veteran fighter world you know lifelong martial artist who's in his 60s and who's a real martial artist and a real fighter and a real warrior is far more dangerous than a 30 year old part-time fit mixed martial arts guy that mixed martial arts guy in his 30s who's fit who's worried about his look and you know he's banging all the hot chicks and he's can fight all the good guys he's gonna get fucking eaten alive if he ever has to bump into that old man because that old man doesn't give a shit about how he looks doesn't care about the the, the argument if you get into a fight with that old man and he he can see you he can see you're a 30 something year old guy and a peak performance is strong and all it takes is for that young guy to catch the old man with one good solid punch and the old man is dead or in a coma right so the old man's gonna f- not gonna fuck around you won't even realize that he's opened you from you know you're growing to your throat and taking your eyes out before you fucking blink because that's what he's gonna do he's not gonna sit there trading punches with you so and it's the same spiritually right the more you survive the more you keep going the more you deal with all the shit that's thrown at you you know most people like social shame i mean, i don't care you know i might have priests trying to excommunicate me next well bring it on i know what i am and i know who i'm serving i'm not worried right and when you've got that true innate security that is not faked you know you can't fake that shit you either have it or you don't well, then you're in a position where other people will start to notice and they will start to follow. And it's good to delegate. You know, I, you know, people try and make me some kind of guru or whatever. I always invariably, I, I dissuade them from it. Either intentionally or deceptively or whatever, I will, I will do something that puts me in a bad light. I will actually say like, nah, you know, like, the one I used to use quite often were like, People used to come to training and they're like, oh, you're like the ninja guy. I, I want to learn from you. I'll be like your student. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll learn at your feet, master. And I was like, what the fuck? You don't even know me, man. You know, and I, I'd say like the most fucked up thing just to mess their head and like, wake up. You know, I had one guy that like, it was very persistent. He was like, no, but I'll be the, your follower. I'll be lo-. I'm like, dude, just chill out. You know, just come training. Just just train, you know. He wasn't a bad person, you know. Don't, don't get me wrong. These guys are usually very good people who just want to follow somebody. They are like bravos without an alpha type of thing. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to be your leader, man. I don't care. And, you know, they, to the point where they tell him, look, dude, you don't know me. I'm just another human being. I'm better than you at doing this thing. I can punch you to shit because I've been doing it longer than you, all right? Just learn. Just come training. It doesn't mean that I'm a perfect human being or even a good guy. You know, you're sitting here being all so cool. What if I become your friend just, just so I can fuck your wife because I think she's pretty and I end up doing it? Then what? You're still going to think I'm a good guy. And we're like, oh? You know, and, and you need to do that sometimes. You need to dissuade people from just you know glorifying you or whatever at the same time if i become a reluctant leader and i say jump in fact i don't even want to have to say jump 
If you're following me, you better be telepathic enough that you know exactly when it's the time to jump and why, and you do it as a unit. Because I don't, you know, I'm not gonna, if I have to lead, I'll lead. But any dissension from the ranks, you'll be cut out immediately, straight away. And why? Again, because I'm captain material. I'm not general material. You know, I'm lieutenant colonel material. I'm not general material. I'm special ops tactics guy. I'm not overall war strategy guy. I can do the overall war strategy okay, quite well, better than most human beings for certain, but that's not my peak skill. You know, in, in the battle zones, I'm a tactician and that's where I'm best, to operating with a small group of people and small team that is, you know, symbiotic. Such a team can achieve huge things. And in fact, such teams have changed history. And throughout history, in many battles, such teams have been instrumental in changing the whole war. Leonidas and his 300, uh, the, the Polish group of guys that took out the Monte Cassino uh, fortress with the Nazis in it. You know, there are many, many, many aspects in history where a few let's say hard men rather than good men. A few hard men did hard things and changed the course of history. Um, you know, it also requires an overall oversight, luck, you know, whatever, divine providence, all that stuff. But, uh, you know, it's important that, that you know your limitations and that you know who and what you are. So anyway, it's been a long ramble over an hour now. And I hope that somewhere in that long ramble, you've picked up some interesting tidbits about why it's best to be Catholic or get the fuck out. And remember that Catholic means militant. It's a very patriarchal male thing. And the women are very feminine, very uh, sensual, actually. Uh, good moms, good wives. You go into a proper Catholic community and I'm telling you, it's hard. It's really difficult for you not to get inspired because the men are men and the women are women and the kids are happy. And it's, uh, it's awesome to see. It's really a beautiful thing to see. And if you have never seen it, if you don't know anything about it, you think, oh, Catholicism, and those guys that wear the funny hats and rape kids. You know, that's the Novus Orco. You have to educate yourself. You have to learn a little bit about real history instead of what you've been taught. Real Catholicism, real Catholics are uh, a power to be reckoned with. Uh, so I hope you join us, become one of us, and create little communities that become city-states. City-states is where it's going to go. When the boogaloo happens, it's going to go back to city-states. So get a head start. If you're in a little village, good. If you're in a big city, try and get at least your little block, your little next-door neighbors. And if you can, move out of the big city. You know, I'm in a big city, uh, but I've already kind of moved to the edge of it. And, you know, hopefully we'll see how it goes. Maybe I can move further out. But, you know, if you can create a little community of hardcore Catholics in where you live, there are, there are different people. You then know that you can trust your kids with their kids. They, they can have a sleepover and you're not so worried about your kid getting raped by some random person because you're all Catholics and you all know that if anybody in your little community gets found raping kids, well, they're just going to disappear, you know? People disappear all the time.
if somebody's raping kids and he disappears, well, you know, and that's what used to happen in the old days, including the sheriff. You know, the sheriff was in on it. The sheriff got called and said, this priest was molesting a kid. You know, we've given him his five minutes to get his affairs in order and then we're stringing him up. And the sheriff was like, yep. And then when the federal guys came to him, but, you know, the priest was found hanging off a tree, the whole community, including the sheriff, goes, must have done it himself, officer, if you get our meaning. What's that officer going to do? Eh, suicide. <laughs> and he's going to fuck off, you know. I remember that justice is a very different concept from law. <laughs> law, as a matter of fact, is created generally by the violent thugs that become government. And, you know, Lysander Spooner, 101. Read up Lysander Spooner's essay, Natural Law. It's eight pages if you print it on A4. And it's all the law and all the uh, politics that an honest person ever needs. It's all in there. So, you know, that, that's all that law and justice is. It's a group of people in a community that have come together and have decided these are the rules we're going to live by. And Catholic rules have created the best system on earth, bar none. You know, Catholicism created the Western world. There's nothing better than it. You know, Greco-Roman laws and, and philosophy and history and uh, Catholic religion uh, created Western civilization. So if you're in a, your own little community of, of Catholics and you make up your own rules and that's it, that becomes your law, you're your own little city-state, good, try and beat me to it. You've got a head start because I'm in a big city for now. Um, so if you're in a little village and you're hardcore Catholic, work at it, you know, compete with me. Let's see who gets there first. Let's see who becomes the first the first little Catholic city-state somewhere on the globe. Uh, let me know. All right, that'll do. I, it was a long ramble. I didn't plan any of it. So, uh, I don't know. Let me know if you think it sucks or not. And uh, I'll try and do it the next video a little bit more uh, thought out first. But as you can tell, I'm unshaven. I'm still in kind of my PJs, really. And I've had a long, long night. We've all been a bit sick. But it's not a, an excuse, I'm just saying, you know, let me know what you like. I'll try and uh, and do uh, something that you guys want for the next video if you give me enough uh, ideas, all right? Good day. <laughs>